Good morning, new community. Welcome to the Sunday Gathering. My name is Emily Farnes, and I came to Newcom about seven years ago during my last year at WCU College of Nursing. Since then, I did the year-long internship with Russ Davis. I have lived with people from Newcom, and for the last four years, I've been a small group leader. My prayer for you this week in a time of so much fear and anger and uncertainty is that you would feel refreshed and re-centered by this message and that you would feel empowered to extend the love and peace of God to those around you. Lord, we are in need of worship that turns our heart and mind toward you. Our shoulders are heavy with unanswered questions, changed plans, and worry about tomorrow. We come before you, ready to lay these burdens at your feet with full confidence in your ways, greater than our own. Create in us a clear mind and a compassionate heart, allowing the questions within and around us to pull us closer to you and your kingdom. We ask in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, may your presence be known in worship this morning. Amen. Matthew 21, 23 through 32. And when he, Jesus, entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching and said, But by what authority are you doing these things and who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? And if we say from man, 
We are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. A parable of the two sons. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes will go into the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Please join me in a time of reflection. What are the questions at the surface or buried a little deeper that are most troubling in your relationship with God today? What does it look like to rest in God's love in the midst of unknowns and unanswered questions? How can mistakes and struggle lead us to transformation? How does the presence of God bring encouragement to your journey of following God in the uncertainty of life? And how can we, New Community, be a place that cherishes questions? Uh, good morning, new community. It is uh, good to have you on the podcast. I hope that wherever this podcast finds you, and no matter what time of day you might be listening, I hope that you are well and resting in the presence of God. Uh, my hope and desire has been that this series that we have been in has served as an aid in your pursuit of God. 
that in the midst of uncertainty and trying times uh, that you've been able to lean into the pursuit of the presence of God. We are continuing in the series, Practicing the Presence of God. But before I get into our focus for the podcast, I wanted to introduce our guest, my good friend, Travis Knight. I want to give a quick little flashback. Travis and Tara were the uh, first people, uh, first family we hung out with when we arrived in Spokane over 13 years ago. I can still remember uh, to this day vividly. We pulled in with our van, U-Haul, before we unloaded anything. We met Travis and Tara and their family at the park. And I remember cresting this little hill um, of grass, and we came down the hill, and Travis and Tara were there and had lunch, and we hung out, and uh, we've been friends ever since. So, Travis, why don't you uh, start off by uh, introducing yourself to those at Newcom that might not know you. Tell us a little bit about your family, how long you've been at Newcom, and what you do vocationally. Yeah, man, that was just yesterday, wasn't that? (laughs) <laughs> it feels that way. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, um, as kind of like going back to the origins of Newcom and the Knights, uh, Tara and I, my wife, we had just gotten married and I had a, a year left to complete at Gonzaga. Um, I was done with playing baseball, but we had uh, still something left on the degree to complete. And um, I had gotten to know the receptionist in the athletic department whose husband worked uh, here as a professor of philosophy and who had gotten to be good friends with Rob Fairbanks, who was formerly the pastor here. And, uh, Tara and I were deeply seeking, uh, to have some congruency in our, in our spiritual life together and picking a church. And it's so funny. We drove out to Freya, um, near Beacon Hill to this little seventh day Adventist church, uh, that was empty on Sundays to go check out this place called new community. So, I think we were the first migrants from New commu- uh, from Gonzaga to come over. I think there Crazy. were a couple of Whitworth kids, but it wasn't a college church. Uh, so to see over, gosh, that's uh, from 99 to now, you can do the math. It's been a lot of uh, watching this, this community <laughs> grow and change. So it's been awesome. But uh, yeah, so my family, my oldest son, Kiernan. So Tara and I have four boys, one girl. My oldest, Kiernan, uh, is going to be a sophomore here at Gonzaga. And then next up is Eli. Uh, he just turned 17, which blows our minds. And then Gideon, uh, he's 15. Baylor is about to turn 10. And then little baby girl, Ren, she is just turned four. So vocationally, what I do is um, I have the most ridiculous job in the world um, that we live in a world where there's such a thing as a performance coach that your job is to get people who move incredibly well to move even better <laughs> and, <laughs> and usually play in front of, you know, thousands of fans and millions of people, uh, even though the fan part's kind of uh, in limbo right now. So at Gonzaga, what I do now is I, I work with men's basketball team and um, formerly uh, the, the formal title would be like strength and conditioning coach, but that even that title has evolved so much more to just being about performance. So whether that means, um, things that relate to their nutrition or their mental preparation or personal development, anything that's going to help them perform at a higher level. Um, 
kind of falls underneath my domain. So that's awesome. Uh, if you guys uh, don't know Travis uh, and Tara, I'd highly recommend uh, getting to know them. Um, so Travis, one of the reasons I invited you onto the podcast is just the nature of the topic that we have for today. Um, as you know, we've been going through this series, Practicing the Presence of God, and the theme for this particular week uh, really revolves around this idea of question asking. So allowing questions, uncertainty, and learning to enable us to practice the presence of God more fully. And um, question asking, I think, really can provide a gateway to know God and experience Him more. Um, and this is something that maybe a lot of people don't talk about, but recently I was reading a book by Thomas Halleck. He's a Czechoslovakian theologian, and uh, he was writing concerning the love of God. And he said um, this quote that when I came across, it's really stuck with me for the last month or so. He says this, the conviction has gradually matured within me that God approaches us more as a question than an answer. Maybe the one whom we mean by the word God is more present to us when we hesitate to say the word too hastily. Maybe he feels better with us in the open space of the question than in the constrictingly narrow gully of our answers, our definitive statements, our definitions, and our notions. Let us treat his holy name with the greatest restraint and care. And that quote just stuck with me for this last month. I've been wrestling with it. But I love the phrase where he said, God approaches us as a question. So my first question for you, Trav, is when you hear that quote, uh, how does that sit with you? Well, I think if I didn't like it, we probably shouldn't be having this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't be on this podcast. <laughs> um, you know, other people may not know this, but I think it was a little over a year ago, I asked you to sit down with, with me and, and help me continue to cultivate that skill of asking questions because mm. after I don't know how many years of doing this and doing and parenting and all these other things, I, I found that where the most valuable information came from was being better at asking questions. Um, mm. I think that uh, I love that statement and I love that quote because um, God's always, uh, in my perspective, looked at things upside down from the way we do. Maybe we look at things upside mm. down from the way he does. And I think sure. that we, we assume the purpose of a question is to lead us to an answer. And, um, when I reflect on my personal path of understanding God, understanding the world around us, understanding myself and, and those I love, it's, it, it's so much of it is amazing how much God could say and chooses not to. Yeah. And if he chooses to do that, there has to be a great, like the greatest level of intelligence and genius behind that. Right. Mm, absolutely. And so, um, I, I love that because when you ask me that question, the first thing I want to do is ask you that question back. And mm -hmm. I think the reason for that is because I think 
when I answer that question, that's going to give you a little bit of information about me. When I ask you that question, that's going to give you some information, me some information about you. And if we continue to do that back and forth, we're, we're doubling our information gathering because as I'm answering it, I'm looking inside myself, but then you're also learning about me and then vice versa. Right. And we, we've talked in the past that I think one of the more profound ways that I've experienced the presence of God is by watching and learning from other people. So as I'm learning more from you and you're asking me and we're both reflecting on something together, we're actually, I think, growing personally, but also growing in our experience of who, who God is and how we relate to him. One of the, um, the things we've talked about a lot of times in the past as we've been together is that um, when you look at the scriptures, Jesus seems to value questions more than he does answers. Uh, I think I read a statistic at one point that about 70% of the time when Jesus is asked a question, he responds with another question rather than giving an answer, which uh, was infuriating to the people at the time uh, and to some religious circles continues to be infuriating, but to others, it gives great freedom. I want to read a particular passage and then, um, and then ask you a couple questions. Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 to 32, uh, says this, And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things, and who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also will ask you one question, and if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. I love that. Uh, the baptism of John, where did it, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And then he goes on to tell this parable of the two sons. Uh, what do you think? A man had two sons and he went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? They said the first, Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in a way of righteousness and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, they did not afterwards change your minds and believe him. So you have this interesting story of Jesus um, engaging with her religious leaders using this rabbinic tradition of asking questions to facilitate discovery. It's a, a humble posture when he's engaging with others, but really he seems to model this idea of continual and ongoing discovery. Uh, when you hear Jesus respond to the religious leaders this way in the text, um, uh, what connects with you about that? And then uh, I've got a couple other questions related to this as well. Well, you know, I, I think about, transactional versus transformational um yeah and how if he gives an answer first of all they can twist it mm -hmm. <laughs> so not not giving them an <laughs> opportunity to get some purchase on something they can manipulate 
But then yep. secondly is that if they get an answer, they can move on. They can say, I got what I came for and now I can go on to something else. Whereas I think a, a question is more engaging long-term that you can't just walk away from it because there's just, there isn't a finite beginning and end to the response. Right. Right. So it, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, where did, where did this come from? So some people grow up in a faith community that, um, facilitates questions that desires questions others long for certainty did your kind of faith journey growing up encourage or suppress questions and if suppressed how have you kind of navigated to this space where uh, you see questions as part of what uh, ignites faith rather than uh, causes you to be fearful um you know growing up uh I think my my coming to a place of um, identifying myself as a Christian was built on the existing structure of um, how I was taught through Sunday school and through uh, just the the modeling that I saw from my parents and, and so on and so forth. But I think when I ask about the the, the root of asking questions and being less structured um, mm -hmm. to, to, to be okay with questions that don't have clear answers. I, I think back that my mom, I, I laugh at the time and, and still a little bit now that, that she would watch a movie. Like for those of you old enough to hunt for the red October uh, yes. <laughs> and, and she would watch it over and over again and want to share with us the deep insights that she pulled from that paralleling faith or paralleling, you know, our, our political system or whatever it was. And I always thought that was just, it was overkill. It was too much. I wasn't ready for it. You know, I, but mm. now it's interesting that I find myself years and years and years later following that same line. And one of the things that has resonated with me the most uh, is a quote that is attributed to Aristotle. And it says, the greatest thing by far is to have a command of metaphor. This alone cannot be imparted by another. It is the mark of the genius for to make good metaphors implies an eye for resemblance. Hmm. And I think that is where um, I really connect to the idea of parables. And yeah. even I think as we grow some of our understanding of scripture into was that events? Is that a recording of history or is that an analogy and a metaphor speaking to something bigger? And mm. it seems like when it, it's Jesus's turn to talk, where does he go? He goes to questions and he goes to parables. Right. And so essentially, I mean, the beauty of that is that you, it, you can't just explain a parable to somebody. They have to understand right. what's what information is embedded in that idea. And then what about what I'm currently thinking about experiencing and going through matches or aligns or mirrors or interacts with that. And to me, that's speaking to 
chess and checkers. I mean, it's like, you yeah, know, yeah. Um, and I, I know that for, for me personally, my path professionally started with learning about the body and learning how muscles work. Mm-hmm. But the, the deeper you go, the more you either have to choose to stay reductionist in your thinking and just continue mm-hmm. to only consider what the physical body is doing. Or you have to open yourself up at some point to really answer the question to the interplay of complex dynamic systems. Mm -hmm. The idea that the the placebo effect of how somebody thinks about the situation that they're in is going to impact the physiological ability to perform and do things. And so when you dive into complex systems, you have to just start thinking about models that allow you to explain the, the the relationships and the interconnectedness of everything that's happening. And so for me, um, the model of a map has been really, I think has made a lot of sense to me as I think about scripture Mm -hmm. and, you know, with a map, you have these, these things on there, like a squiggly line, a blue area you have, all these things that represent what you're going to encounter if you walk into that area, but you're not going to have every turn of the trail detailed on the map. And you're not going to, depending on when that map was written, when you go there, there could be a town when previously there wasn't on the map or there's all these things and you're still in the same location, but somebody wrote that this is going to be, it's just going to give you a reference point for where you're at and what's right. around you and what it looks like and where you go from here. And, but you know, the, the whole point is you don't live a map. <laughs> like you live, right. you live the experience. The map helps you know, where do I want to go? Where am I? What is happening? Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I think the more that scripture speaks to us as a map that has a lot of, data points and a lot of people writing about experiences helps me navigate. But the whole point is not the map. It's right. The the journey. Right. Yeah. Um, When you say you resonate with parables, um, is that because in some ways, if you take a text or you take an answer, it's one explicit statement. And then that, you come back to it and it's the same every time. But in a parable, you could come back to it again and gain a new insight. You can come back to it again and relate that to your life or experience in a different way. Similar to your map analogy, uh, the trail might, you know, deviate a little bit from the way the map was created, but you're still in the same general vicinity and you're learning new things that uh, continue to move you forward. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, when, when, when the parables are being told, he never mentions who, what the person's name is or what they look like or anything. It's just a man, a woman who lost a coin, who this, that. And it's like, because we don't need that information. We, we know the whole time he's right. telling it, we're trying to get at the meaning. What is the meaning? Right. right? And so right. I, I think that's, that's the, um, uh, that's the connection I make to a parable is as soon as I start answering a question with that, you know, you're just listening for what am I supposed to get from this? 
And ultimately, he never will tell you <laughs> because what you're supposed to right. get from it is what you're supposed to get from it. Absolutely. Um, and it's interesting that you can get something different from it than I can get from it, right? Oh, yeah. But part of that, wouldn't you say, is lived experience? Oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, yeah, that my lived experience you, gives me a particular lens through which I'm looking at the parable. And so it resonates with me, maybe it, because of the past or maybe because of the present need I have as I walk into that parable or into that story. Yeah. I mean, I think without the lived experience to pair with, to couple with, as we would say, the, the scripture, the scripture really has no life, you know, that, that. We, it is our life combined with that that brings life. And I, and I think that the, you know, some people might lament over the fact that David wasn't perfect or this or that, but if you've lived life, you're like, that helps me so much to know that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. I resonate with a deeply flawed yes. person. Yes. <laughs> not that, not that they Absolutely. were supposed to be the, uh, the goal of our journey was to be like that person. Right. Right. Now, what, um, why do you think it is that many times within religion, within faith, we want this certainty of answers over like a preference towards questions? Is there a reason you think that exists in kind of many religious circles? I, you know, I don't know. Uh, is it more of a product of a Western uh, framework? Like if we went around the world, would that be the same? That's a great question. I don't know. Um, you might be right. Um, I, in some ways I think it, it's tethered to a modern mindset. I know that a lot of people talk about, uh, the negativity of a postmodern mindset, but in some ways I think the desire for certainty and the scientific factual kind of reading of a text that almost tries to take story out of it, that almost tries to take um, experience out of it and just break it down to this sentence was organized in this way, therefore this is the meaning. Um, it may have in some ways done more damage to the church uh, than a more postmodern question-asking kind of mentality. Well, the way I would kind of frame it is that to me, a question, questions are transcendent of time, space, more than answers. I think answers are more temporal. I think they're more like, yeah. like I think about 30 years ago, 25 years ago, when I'm going to school and what we're learning about that we know about nutrition. Now we we probably think the exact opposite. I mean, it's just like, mm -hmm. it, it's almost <laughs> like if you're giving an answer and you're providing that you're, you're saying, all right, at uh, 1043 on Thursday, uh, this yeah. is what we know about that. And I mean, right. there's no greater example right now than going through this with the, with the virus. It's like, right. wait a minute, last week you said this about it this week. What, right. what is true? Right. And I, I think that even as you mentioned the virus, that causes some people a deep uncertainty, right? So like, I don't know who I can trust. I don't know what I'm supposed to believe because one moment I hear 
highly contagious. Next moment, I hear no. One moment, I hear it can transfer on surfaces. The next moment, I hear no, not really. It's more airborne. And so you have all this new information coming. But I think when we think of the Bible, we think because it was written a long time ago or because God is unchanging and who God is will always remain unchanging, that that must mean that uh, the answers are unchanging and that even when we gain new information, that previous answer has to be the same answer. And we're, I think, based on continued learning, seeing that not only is in science or in, um, you know, um, scientific understanding of the body and how it works and uh, dynamic systems, like all of that stuff, as we gain new information, we lean into that new information to help us understand and make sense of the past. So how do we continue to be a people that asks good questions, is not afraid of new discovery uh, as it relates to both life and faith? So I'll just, I'll just share with you some of the learnings that I've had that you would yeah. not say this is a, um, this is a theological principle or this is derived from biblical sure. study or any of these kind of things. This is coming from what we would just say is like a lateral field of trying to understand ourselves. And that is yeah. that, um, when it comes to like motivation and the desire to continue to pursue something, um, we can use things that are external. We can motivate kids to get good grades through promising them 10 bucks for an A or things right. like that. But all motivation is not, it can be effective, but it's not equal in terms of the quality of it. And the, the highest level of, of motivation comes from within and it comes from a, a, an internal source. And yeah, just that's, that is something that we've arrived at scientifically, at least for now, understanding it because we kept asking questions and we kept asking the right questions and we kept getting better and better at understanding this. And to me, this reflects a bit like the map that we are, we are supposed to be this, this theory of self-determination doesn't mean like, I don't need God in my life. What it means is that right. I'm going to pursue things because that's where my heart is. And right. that self-determination comes from three places. Um, it comes from autonomy, which is mm -hmm. even if I'm, even if I am in the worst situation I can imagine, I'm choosing to stay with it and I'm choosing to stay in it and I'm choosing my own attitude and I'm choosing like, there's still pieces that I can, that are not up to everybody else. It's up to me. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. competency that, you know, Ren, my four-year-old, she's starting to get good at riding her bike. And um, she says this about a bunch of things. But one of the other things she says is, I teach myself. And mm. um, and we're like, don't ever lose that. <laughs> I mean, right. And it doesn't mean I don't need teachers and I don't need truth. And I don't need to surround myself with a community. But it means like I'm not leaning on other people to provide the truth. I'm bringing it together. And then the third right. thing, uh, the competency piece the third thing is relatedness that if what I'm, if, if what matters to me and what I do and pursue as I connect to others and something bigger than myself, it makes all of those things better that those are, yeah. those are, you blend those three things together and you have a really powerful 
moving force within somebody. Um, and so the environment that I create here at work, I try to cultivate that space. And what that speaks to when we think about this idea that God is asking questions, he's inviting us to, mm. you know, if God knows everything, why should I even, what point is it that I bring anything? Because he already knows, like, I can't add to that, right? Right. But he's right, inviting totally. and saying, no, I need you to share what you think and what you know and what your process is. And so when that is engaged, then I think everything changes. And so now the idea that one narrative can, can be, uh, can bulldoze its way through a culture starts to kind of get chipped at because now you're like, no, wait a minute. I, I don't actually think that I really don't actually believe mm. that. So now you add, you know, this, um, what in, in the, the space of, of motor development, we say global stability, um, is achieved through, through local variability or through small individual differences. When you bring that all together, mm -hmm. it actually brings a lot of stability. But if you try to suppress and keep individual thought, feeling, and truth out of the equation, you actually are creating a lot of global instability because at some point that's, it's just not very strong. It's not a good root system, right? Yeah. So, um, I know we've gotten off track a little bit here, but I, I think the, the, you have to cultivate like as we're raising our kids, we have to cultivate this space of explore, explore, explore back to the map. The Bible should be inviting us to explore. It should be inviting us to engage and live. And mm -hmm. as you're exploring, the idea is not that you just go from A to B in the shortest, place, shortest distance possible, right? It's like find something maybe that nobody else has seen or that you've never seen before. And like, then mm -hmm. everything starts instead of it being that was the right move or the wrong move. Now it's like that was a move that I had to my map and it's, you know, right. it just keeps building. So, yeah, I think that illustration or analogy is super helpful because there can be um, maybe a stagnancy um, to faith when it's just take the next step and it eliminates this active kind of pursuit that is the word you're using for explore, right? Um, so much of the text is telling us to pursue godliness, to pursue God, to seek me and you'll be, I'll be found, you know, like there's this uh, exploratory pursuit, desire, uh, intensity that's involved that I think sometimes gets um, siphoned out of faith because we're, we're just trying to look for um, as you described, the shortest point between two points, or, you know, shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Um, and maybe God's a little bit more into um, exploring the terrain and figuring him out and learning along the way. So I can add one more thing to that. Yeah. So in coaching and teaching, which we both are passionate about. Um, yeah. As we've built this, uh, this shared knowledge within coaches of for this sport, teaching this skill, the best way to teach this or the best way to, to organize um, your group, your team is to do this. That came about through a lot of exploration and a lot of trial and error. But then we got it down on paper and we said, OK, now we know 
I'm going to describe the right. end to you and I'm going to describe the process and I'm just going to keep you on that path. And what we right. found is that that model is effectively driving the wrong way on a one-way street when it really comes to, to producing the highest performers, the, the best, hmm. um, the, the best performers have gone through a process of teaching themselves in a way, which is kind of what we're talking about, Ren, but they, they have all of the richness of the experience in learning why that works because they've tried mm -hmm. through trial and error. Um, right. And when a coach just tells you this is how it's done and you don't need to know why, and this is just the way, then what we found is that as pressure builds, as things get more and more complicated, um, we, we can't rely on that because we didn't generate it. And so it tends mm -hmm. to break down. We tend to perform poorly when the stakes are biggest. And, um, but yet those who perform really, really well are the ones who kind of slowly got through that same process. They still arrived at the same point, but they didn't have all of those rich nutrients of learning stripped away from them. Um, and mm -hmm. so in effect, by giving the short route, by giving the shortcut, by giving the, the quick answer, we've actually robbed the exploration and had Absolutely. an unintended consequence. Yeah. Um, so all the time with uh, our coaches, we're describing this idea of guided discovery. And I know that's a term you've uh, heard and used. But just this idea that if you, just like you said, you give the answer to the student or to the athlete. It, it robs them of the process of figuring it out on their own. It robs them of the joy of discovery. It robs them of being able to overcome something on their own so that they get to the other side of that a particular question and get to an answer that for them uh, resonates deeply. And so if we can be the kind of uh, guides, so to speak, that ask the appropriate question or get them to look the right direction or maybe to pursue a different avenue to complete the same task, all of a sudden it adds this depth and richness to what they're experiencing. And it doesn't make us the, um, the person that kind of just gives the answer, but rather makes us the facilitator of a learning experience. Can you talk more on that and talk about maybe some of the things that you're doing um, in your context um, that might, in some ways relate to the faith experience. Yeah. Well, earlier you were referring to this idea of uncertainty and how do we approach uncertainty? And I think that questions are, are a, a vehicle or a model for us to get repetitions dealing with uncertainty. And I think that yeah. um, there's, there are certain people who by their nature are very comfortable with things being not so straightforward organized and sequenced and say it's not it's there's a lot of gray and i'm cool with that and i, I like that and i want to um i actually am more excited about gray than i am about black and white and yeah. um so one of the things that that um like what we've done here in terms of personal development is we've created a space with the team every monday uh, where for 15 minutes it's called personal growth monday where we, uh, it's myself and the players, there's no other coaches, just to change that dynamic of um, them trying to maybe worry about what coaches are thinking. You know, it's just their own space to ask questions and to uh, have a conversation together around uh, 
concepts that are growth oriented. And so yeah. it's, it's been really cool to, they, uh, when they come in, the first thing we have to really teach them how to do is say what they think and to be okay with the idea that what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to communicate that's inside of me is going to take reps. It's not going to come out clean yeah. the first time. It's not going to really represent sure. what I'm actually thinking the first time. And so I think when we, when we use questions, there's, um, like what you said earlier, when we use questions that invite other questions, uh, it isn't a lack of traction and, and movement. It isn't a lack of progress to keep asking questions. It, right. It's not like the question was derived to arrive at an answer and then the trip is over. It's like the question should, as it's being answered, lead to another great question, um, which is really the right. foundation of scientific principles. That's really how science is supposed to work. Um, and so I think when we rest with the idea that the person who has the answer, so to speak, is the one asking questions. And when you ask them back, they don't have an answer to give. But they're asking another mm -hmm. question. Um, I think that, that that becomes another invitation that it's okay not to, to say it's, it's okay not to have the answers. Or right. it's okay not to be great at communicating the answers. Right. The value and, and what we've evolved, what, what we, has really transpired out of that is that rather than the goal of that 15 minute session is for them to get this idea and that idea and that idea and to get to this objective and this objective, it's simply the conversation itself is the end goal. That, that right. is the point. Right. And what I love about scripture and what I love about what the, the space that we're talking about right now is that it, it is it always leaves you wanting more, right? It always yeah. invites you to come back to it because when the objective is not um, purely a results outcome, but it's a process mm -hmm. outcome, it invites you to be you, right? Because you're, yeah. you're not being measured by what you do. You're being measured by who you are and, and where you are in that moment. And like you said, enjoying growth. Growth is yeah. something we're hardwired for. And, and I think along that last line is it's really easy to think of ourselves like, like puppy, right? <laughs> like your mm -hmm. guy. The goal is not to totally. get him from being a puppy to being an adult. <laughs> the goal is that right. we would continue to exemplify that same, you know, vitality for life with maybe a little more boundaries and a little more, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, totally. but, but still to maintain that hunger and that desire all throughout. And that's, I right. think that's a missing piece of our, our culture. Yeah. Now you've uh, mentioned to me before, you even uh, showed me the video. I don't know if you use this on one of your Monday kind of learning times, but uh, that video by Kobe Bryant that just kind of talks about, you know, being the kind of athlete he represented and learning on the journey. Can you talk to us just for a moment about that? And and then we can relate that back to faith. Oh, I'd love to. Um, so about 10 years ago, Kobe Bryant was being interviewed um, and Jamel Hill asked him the question, asked him the question. She said, some people love to win. Other people hate to lose. Which one are you? And everybody expects him to say one or the other. Probably I hate to lose. And his response was neither. Said, I play to figure things out. And 
Mm. Um, that the way he views failure is if he stops moving forward or stops the process of growth and learning to him, that's failure. But if he wins or loses right. or, or makes a good player, makes a bad play, all of that is just information that just guides the next iteration. And what he says that I think is really powerful is he says that trying to figure things out keeps him from mentally time traveling into the future to winning or losing or backwards in time to mistakes that were made and being stuck there. And it keeps him centered and in the moment. And I think Hmm. oftentimes that's probably, I know growing up, there were always people who were really excited about end times. They always wanted to talk about end times, you know, people who wanted to talk about when uh, this time in biblical, you know, when, when they, when, I mean, if we could only go back to that, or if we can only go forward to this and it's like, right. What we, what we know about learning and what we know about development is that the most effective forms are the ones that keep you being constantly challenged. Um, that, that make you have to think that make you have to really stay mm-hmm. with it because what that does is it keeps you in the moment. It keeps you present and it keeps you fully engaged with where your feet are. And it's like mm-hmm. that in and of itself, if you could say, this is a supplement, we're going to sell it. People would probably buy it left and right because they're like, that's the opposite of anxiety, <laughs> right? That's right. like the opposite of stress. That's it. like just being in what I can do right now in this moment um, changes my lens tremendously. Yeah. Um so one of the things you said made me think of this when we're doing a particular activity with our uh, soccer students. Um, what we'll do is we'll do the exact same activity a second time or a third time, but we'll just change the conditions on it, right? So they're familiar with the exercise, which if you think about it in religious terms, familiar with a particular way of living or being or doing something. But by changing the conditions... Uh, putting parameters on it, uh, forcing them to do it a particular or different way. Uh, And again, if you relate this to faith, you could say that each day presents us with a new set of challenges, right? Or a trial might come into our situation that puts a condition on the way we respond. That that process of um, failure, of making mistakes, all in the process of learning and growth, uh, really is essential for learning or our own spiritual practice. I think my upbringing uh, really did not celebrate mistakes, did not like wrong answers, did not think failure was a part of faith. Uh, they did because it was just called sin and it was to be avoided at whatever cost. But how is it that we can kind of celebrate the Uh, mistakes, the wrong answers, the failure as part of a spiritual practice of actually learning and growing and being more connected to the God who loves us in spite of our failure? Well, I I think you have to just ask the question of of really what is failure? And I think you have to ask the question Mm -hmm. of if failure has to do with an objective that was not met or an outcome that was never reached, then how good was, how good is the outcome? Like, is that really what we said was the the goal and the objective and the standard? Does that need to be considered? Or maybe like we said earlier, the conversation was the goal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, 
if you if you make a mistake, if you do something that's not considered by the culture and the society to be okay, um, how do we know? We only know because of the environment that we're in. We only know because of this reference point or that reference point. And so right. what you were referring to earlier, this is a big, big idea is that we are, we are meant to interact with our environment around us in a way where we're coupled, that we perceive, um, that, that we, we take action based on what we perceive, but also that we take action in order to perceive. So I'm going to mm-hmm. do this to see what happens here, you know? And mm-hmm. sometimes it's like, this is what's available to me, or this is what is okay. And so this is what I'm going to do. So the environment dictates. And so it's this back and forth. And so a lot of times I think we get so hung up on how our society and our environment around us is so dysfunctional and so not what God intended. And so this and so that, but it really is what it is. And it just is our environment. And I think when we realize that we don't have to detach from our environment and be something like that's that whole Mm -hmm. holiness concept that the way I was raised was you detach, you disconnect. Yeah. Total escape. Whereas like true holiness would be like, maybe it is being present and in the moment and with suffering or with, Mm -hmm. you you know, like, yeah, I'm going to tell you right now that the hardest thing is to be in the moment. That's way harder than doing, following a rule or Mm -hmm. doing something that, Yeah. Well, I, I love um, in the passage we read this question that Jesus is this parable of the two sons, right? He tells the one son, I need you to go do this. And the son says, not a chance. And then maybe that was part of the mistake he made. Maybe that was part of the wrong answer. But something happens in his journey that he then ends up going and doing the thing that his father's asked him to do. The other son says, sure, father, sure, sir, I'll make sure I go do it. And then in no way completes the task, so to speak. (laughs) And there's this um, um, quote that I often say to my kids and I say to a lot of other people, it's a Puritan proverb that says, God loveth adverbs, he careth not how good, but how well. And this idea that our intentions uh, actually matter more than just the action. So whether you did the thing or didn't do the thing, the intentions behind it. So you have a person in this story that doesn't, but then also the intentions within them ultimately lead them to doing the right thing. And then the other person responds differently. Um, So how do we cultivate that in each other? How do we cultivate that in our kids? How do we uh, continue to see it um, as this map, this journey, this exploring rather than um, you know, in the typical ways we might traditionally talk about it. Well, I think, um, I think the, the biggest thing to start through this process is be willing to observe without judgment first. Mm. And if you do that, then you can hopefully, uh, be a little bit more aware of the interactions and the, the, the fact that many, many, many things go into what it is that you're talking about. And if you can at least Mm -hmm. start with an appreciation of those things, I think then it leads us to be less um, declarative and and maybe certain or uh, yeah, definitive about our responses. 
and at least be able to leave room within our responses for the complexity around it. And then I think that continues to grow. And I think the fear is that it turns into outer space, right? That every direction I look is infinite and there's no reference point and I don't know where I Mm -hmm. am. Can't get my feet on the ground. And it it doesn't really work like that. I think to encourage each other that, um, you know, uh, personally, I was raised on the idea that relativism was the enemy and that it, you couldn't, mm-hmm. you know, truth was 100% or it was zero. There wasn't these mm-hmm. degrees of freedom. And, you know, in reality, is it's a lot more complex. And I think that's why God invites us through questions. So right. maybe even just the idea of watching as you're interacting or thinking or talking, what is my question to statement ratio? And if it's heavily, heavily, heavily uh, tilted towards statement, um, maybe mm-hmm. try to balance it a little bit. Um, yeah. I remember with our oldest son, who's loves to just talk and loves to get into conversation and loves to share. Um, one of the things we talked to him about was like, how many things about you are you sharing versus how many things are you asking about them? <laughs> yeah. And can we balance that Absolutely. out a little bit? Totally. So, well, um, maybe we wrap up with this. What's um, one kind of final piece of advice you would give to people wanting to engage with God through questions or wanting to continue to practice the presence of God and lean into uncertainty rather than certainty or questions rather than just answers? Well, I, you know, I like the idea that there you can't go anywhere where he is not. And, oh, man. you know, awesome. that, that it isn't about, um, the, the, the lines that are drawn and being careful to continue to deepen those lines. But I think it's more about really, if, if he is everywhere, how do I, mm. how do I begin to add to my understanding of him by seeing where he is? Yeah. And if he's, if yeah. he's asking questions, then maybe he's trying to encourage me. Maybe he's trying to teach me to do the same. Absolutely. Travis, thanks so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for walking with us into this idea of God meeting us in the questions more than the answers, and that this is part of what it means to learn and to grow and to follow him. Uh, New community, as you are listening and then living out this week, what we're trying to do as a community, Um, My encouragement would be to to lean into what you heard this morning, uh, to lean into the ideas that that God is with us, that he's present. Uh, Psalm 139 speaks to this idea that no matter where you go, as high as the heavens are above, or as low as the earth below, or even to the depths of the sea, it says, that uh, God's right hand will guide you and he will hold you fast. That means he is consistently present with you. If he, as Travis said, meets you with questions and uh, engages that way throughout the text, maybe there's something to be said about the pursuit of him that requires questions. Uh, That it's okay to have answers and they do certain things for our faith, certainly, but that there is something profound that happens uh, when we have to ask questions and when questions are asked of us. Don't shy away from those, lean into those, Uh, be willing to engage with questions and especially the hard questions of life. 
uh, know that we're here, know that your small group leaders are here as we engage these questions. And then last, that no matter what mistake you make, mistake is part of the journey. It is part of the learning. And we know that we have a Savior who absolutely loves us, who 100% forgives us, and meets us in those places and walks with us. So lean into the learning, continue to pursue Christ, and um, may this week be a week in which you experience the presence of God more fully. New community, I have just two announcements for you this morning. The first is we will be spending the next couple of weeks talking about practicing the presence of God through questioning. And we want to hear your questions. So if you've had any thoughts or questions that have come up throughout this series or in this season, we would love to hear from you. You can email your thoughts to staff at new-community.com. Please do so by this coming Wednesday, and we look forward to hearing from you. Secondly, um, staff and elders has shared a letter. This can be found at new-community.com. It's in one of our last posts um, previous to this Sunday. You can find some updates about what to expect moving forward and some thoughts on how we can practice the presence of God in the place that we find ourselves. Now join me in this benediction. New Community. May you find yourself this week being met by the God who approaches us more as a question than an answer. And may you find this God, our God, more captivating than ever. As you seek God, may the questions you are led to be reassuring, not frightening. For these questions can lead us to a living and active faith that requires humility and the adventure of stepping out into the unknown. Greet failure as a necessary aspect of our collective spiritual practice, knowing we are loved in spite of our weakness. And may these truths give you confidence to live with the power of the Father, the grace of the Son, and the guidance of the Spirit. We pray these in the name of Jesus. Amen.